Now, the idea of loving our neighbor, for those of you maybe who are just checking out Jesus, you've come on the right day. And the reason why is, is because Jesus took the entire Older Testament and he boiled it down to two simple rules. Now, in the Jewish faith, they're called laws or commandments. In the Older Testament, by the close of the book of Malachi, there were 613 Jewish commandments or Jewish laws that God had given in the book of Leviticus and the book of Exodus to Moses. But Jesus had an episode where someone walks up to him and says to him, what is the greatest of the commandments? What is it? We find that episode in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. In this episode, there is an expert or a teacher in the law who approaches Jesus. We're going to read it. The man says to Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, all of the rest of the 611 laws are laws that hang on these two. Now you will notice that the question is, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest one? In the Jewish mind, what Jesus would have heard and what the question was that was being asked was what was the weightiest of the laws? What is the weightiest? And there were huge Jewish debates about the law of God during the time of Jesus as to what is the weightiest law, and the weightiest law takes precedence over a lighter law. So if there are two laws that tend to conflict, you go with the weightier one, and the weightier one supersedes the lighter one. It's like balancing a scale. You could see this in the Older Testament when there's a woman named Rahab who lies to a group of people who are looking for Jewish spies. She lies and says she does not have them, and she hides them. God says of her that she was a woman of faith. Why? She took one law that says don't lie, and then she took, an, and, and then she took another law that speaks of murder or death, and she weighs them. And when she weighed them out, the heavier one comes first. So lying is now covered by the heavier or the weighter or the weightier or the greatest law. The Jews would have said that she got the order correct, and because of that, she upheld the law. If she had gotten it wrong, it would have been said that she had abolished the law. That's what they would have said. Now, Jesus, in his answer, is giving two laws, not one. The teacher wanted to have one law. Jesus brings two. Both of them are found in the Older Testament. The first one is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Here's what it says. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Devout Jews prayed that two times a day, every morning and every night. And so the fact that Jesus uploaded this law from the Older Testament was no surprise. But the second law that he brings up was stunning. And the reason why it's stunning is because Jesus said that the greatest law is to love God with everything that you have, but the second one is just as weighty. It's not as though loving God outweighs this one. If you put them on the scales, they're going to balance. And that is to love your neighbor as yourself. Stunning. And the fact that Jesus wouldn't allow one to outweigh the other, but is basically saying that those two need to be held in balance, is something no one has said before. Now the idea is, though, is that Jesus takes the first law from the book of Deuteronomy, but the second one actually comes from the book of Leviticus. We're going to read it together because, as I always say when I teach the Bible, context matters. And so here's where we find that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19, 9 through 18. Here's the context. God says to Moses, the following to present laws to his people. Here's what he says. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. So in God's law, God is saying about loving your neighbor as yourself that since it's an agricultural economy and society, what God commanded was that if you had a wheat field that you would always leave the edges in the corners. You never harvest those. You leave those for the foreigners, i.e. the people in your land who have immigrated and can't own property, and for the poor, because they don't own property. So in God's law is embedded a generosity in loving your neighbor. God says following that, why? Because I am the Lord your God. In other words, if you do this, I'm going to supply Verse 11, do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another, do not swear falsely by my name, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. Reading on, do not defraud or rob your neighbor. That sounds like a pretty good idea, doesn't it? Reading on, do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind but fear your God. In other words, don't despise disabled people. Reading on, God says, I am the Lord. Reading on, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people, do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Verse 17. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so you will not share in their guilt. Verse 18. 
Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You see, when someone heard Jesus say, love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and these two laws are as great and weighty as possible, what they heard was everything else before it. They knew that loving your neighbor involved the laws that built up to that command. But the question was, during Jesus' day, was who is my neighbor? Because actually you could read that law that God had given to Moses in the book of Leviticus that we just read, and the question would be, God says, don't despise or hate or take revenge on anyone among your people. So the debate was, did that include the foreigners? Did that include other types of people? And by the time of Jesus, there were basically two camps. One camp said this, your neighbor was someone who was as righteous as you are. Everyone else, not a neighbor. Look around and see how many neighbors you'd actually have. The other one was just Jews. They didn't have to be as righteous as you were, but Jews counted as your neighbors. But Jesus, in saying, love your neighbor as yourself, was calling them back to know those passages that led up to that command about taking care of the foreigner, about loving your neighbor as yourself, about not despising the blind or people that take extra effort. Now, as we look at this text, love your neighbor as yourself, what we're going to do next is we're going to read the most famous parable in all of Scripture. It's a parable that people have studied in philosophy classes all the way down to theology classes. It's the parable known as the Good Samaritan. Now what's amazing is, whether you know it or not, Good Samaritan is something that's also a legal term. In our world, there's what are known as Good Samaritan laws. In other words, if you as a Good Samaritan reach out to help someone, you cannot be sued, supposedly. There's also, though, laws called a duty to rescue law. And that law requires people to offer assistance and to hold back from giving assistance could actually create liability legally on your part. So the Good Samaritan laws are laws that are put in place that if we see someone who is in trouble and we reach out to help, legally we are supposed to be immune. Now what I want to do is I want to read the parable of the Good Samaritan. For some of us, you've heard it a thousand times. For others of us, you'll be reading it for the first time. Just know that it is an intricate, complicated parable. But it's a parable that answers the question of who is my neighbor? Because in Jesus' time, again, you have to remember, this was a huge debate. Who is my neighbor? Who does God actually expect me to love and to treat well? So we pick up our story in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. 
Here is the parable, the Good Samaritan. Here's what the Bible tells us is the context. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied, and how do you read it? And he replied, now I want you to catch his reply. He is quoting Jesus back to himself. He's probably heard Jesus teach before. And what is his answer? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He gets an attaboy. He knows what the teacher expects, and he gives it back to the teacher. Verse number 28, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied, and the next phrase is shocking. Do this, and you will live. Do you want to have eternal life? Do you really want to live life to the fullest? Then love God and love people. But, verse 29 tells us, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? By the way, don't ever try to justify yourself before God. Doesn't end well. But here's what I do know. A lot of people think that's how you actually get to heaven. You work hard enough, you pile up enough good deeds, and then God goes, you're in. The problem is, is you will never know when the pile of good deeds is big enough. You can never know. And here's what the Bible says about that anyway, is that if that's how you're living your life, if you have ever sinned once, you are outside of God's holiness all of your good needs, you're, uh, you're striving and trying to justify yourself in the sight of God will never work. It's only by faith. And Jesus says to this person as they've asked him, and who is my neighbor, he tells a parable. Now, one thing I want to say before we read this parable is mission critical to understand. It's this. In the Eastern world, and that's the world to which the Bible is written, in the Eastern world, it is assumed the best way to learn is to discover for yourself. They believe this. That's why in the Bible, oftentimes you'll say, why doesn't the Bible just come out and say it? It's because in the Eastern world, that's not how you learn. You do not learn by a data dump. You learn by digging and wrestling and struggling with and then when you kind of have that aha moment in the Eastern world, that's honestly how you learn. So the guy says to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? Just tell me. Give me the list of qualifications. Are they Jews, not Jews? Are they foreigners, not foreigners? Are they people less righteous than me? Just tell me. Just give me a data dump. That's all I want. But Jesus doesn't do that because parables are little stories or fables that are given to you to make you wrestle, to make you dig, to make you struggle. Because Jesus just could have said, love everyone, but he doesn't. He tells a parable. Because in the parable, we wrestle with where do I fit? How do I find that I assimilate with the story? So in answer to the question, and who is my neighbor, Jesus tells the most famous parable ever told. In reply, Jesus said, 
Reading on, verse 30. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. They assumed he would die. Reading on, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now Jesus asked the man a question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now when we read the story, if we're not in understanding of kind of the context or the background, the story or the parable will lose some of its punch. So let me explain to you who's in the parable. First of all, you have a priest and a Levite. These are high-ranking Jewish religious leaders. You also have a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a half-Jew, half-Gentile. This man would have been someone that was absolutely hated by the Jews, especially by the priests and the Levites, and oh, by the way, would have been hated by the teacher of the law that Jesus was in dialogue with. But then we have another player in the play, It doesn't really say overtly who it is. But the scripture tells us there's this guy that's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was mugged, beaten up, stripped naked, and left for dead. Almost all Bible scholars will tell you that going down from Jerusalem to another place was a clear sign that he had been in Jerusalem worshiping. He was a Jew, most likely. And the scripture tells us that here this guy is, he's beaten within an inch of his life, he's laying in the ditch, and two high-ranking Jewish officials walk around him. They cross to the other side of the road. Now, people say, why? Well, one reason is, is if someone is beaten within an inch of their life and they're not dead yet, there's a huge chance that the thieves are still in the area looking for fresh targets. That could be a reason. But what the Jewish people knew was that really wasn't the reason why these religious leaders went to the other side. It had to do with Jewish law. Because you see, as a priest and a Levite, these are people that are serving in worship. These are people that are in the temple serving God. And in the Older Testament, in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, there were holiness laws that those two types of people had to obey. And if they were in their priestly duty or their Levitical duties, and they ended up touching a dead body, 
they would not be able to serve in the temple. They would have to go through a series of cleansings. They would have to go through a series of sacrifices. And they would have to wait many weeks before they would actually be able to serve in the temple again. What the scripture tells us, that same way the guy worshiping was coming down from Jerusalem, the Bible says they were coming down the same road. They too had completed their priestly duties. The priest and the Levite had accomplished what God had asked them to do, but... If they had touched this individual and gotten any body fluids on them or this individual dies, now they will be ceremonially unclean and they will have to go through some cleansing rituals. So here's what they did in their minds to justify not helping the guy in the ditch. They looked at the law of God and they said this, a holiness law about me being ceremonially unclean and touching someone and getting their bodily fluids on me or the fact that they may die, I'm gonna hold that law higher than the law to love my neighbor. My own holiness, my own cleanliness, my own lack of contamination, that's the greater law for these two guys. And so what Jesus does as he shows that that weightier law isn't right. And he makes the hero of the story, the guy that who would have been in the eyes of this Jewish teacher, asking him the question as someone who would have been completely unclean before God, a Samaritan. A Samaritan is a person who's half Jew, half Gentile. They worship at a different place. And the Jew that had asked Jesus the question would have hated Samaritans. Jesus makes him the hero of the story. And he says to this righteous Jewish man, who's the neighbor? Who was the one that behaved like a neighbor? And this Jewish teacher in the law can't even bring himself to say Samaritan. What he says is the one who had mercy on him. Now, what you cannot know by looking at this parable, but for those of us who like to go a little bit deeper in the scriptures, what you need to know is that the parable that Jesus brings isn't out of thin air. There's actually an episode in the Older Testament where Israel had been split into two kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. They have two separate kings. Following the reign of David... In the reign of his son Solomon, the nation of Israel splits, and these two halves become northern kingdom, southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. They're split. And during that time, there were wars happening between north and south. Does this sound familiar? Where a nation is split and north is battling south. And Jesus weaves a parable. And the parable is one that would grip the teacher of the law, but even more deeply than you might think. The reason why is, there were these battles in the Older Testament. They're brought to us in the book of First and Second Chronicles. And in the midst of those wars that were waging, there was a unique event that happened. And it's where the people of Judah had gone into rebellion. And because that part of the kingdom was in rebellion, God brings judgment by letting the Israel 
kingdom, they should have been one, but they're separated, allows the Israel kingdom to begin to conquer people from Judah. And as the Israel kingdom begins to conquer these Judeans, they're torturing them. They're treating them horribly. And they're taking people captive and they're abusing them because there's been generations of hatred and bitterness and they're filled with revenge and now they're killing these people and torturing them. And in the midst of all that torture, there's this unique little event that's found in 2 Chronicles 28.15. Here's what the scripture tells us. That a prophet steps out and announces to the victorious people, the people of Israel, half of the whole nation, Israel, capturing people from Judah, and the prophet steps out and rebukes them and says, God is going to judge you because you've been so harsh to your prisoners and you've taken revenge. You actually need to return these prisoners back to the nation from which they came. 2 Chronicles 28.15 says this. The men designated by name took the prisoners. And from the plunder they clothed them, all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow Israelites at where? Jericho. And returned to where? Aha. You see, the parable that Jesus weaves is a parable that uses the exact same phrases. You've got people who are naked that have been beaten. You've got people where healing balm is placed on them. You've got people who are put on donkeys and they're taken to Jericho for the care that they have need of. See, what you must understand is that Jesus takes a parable from this event in 2 Chronicles and he weaves a story and the teacher of the law knew exactly what he was saying. He was telling the teacher of the law, you must love your enemies. The people that you've been taught to hate, you must love them. And he references this incredible story from the Older Testament. And if we were to bring it in our day and age, you would discover that just like back then, there are people who teach others certain ways of behaving against certain groups. And as I thought about contemporizing this, I realized that some are obvious. With racism, black and white, there's others rich and poor. There's others like living in the country or living in the city. I know many of you who are part of our church family here at City Church, you've immigrated from other countries and you know that there are racial, bigoted hierarchies that you were trained in in your country and many times that gets brought here where certain people that speak the same language from different countries are looked down upon. You begin to look at this and you realize that Jesus is speaking to long, long racial tension, hatred, and bitterness. We look at things like UVA against Virginia Tech, the Chiefs against the 49ers, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican. 
Jesus announces that in his kingdom, all of that stuff goes away. All of it. And you love your neighbor as yourself. When we look at this, how do we put feet to our faith? Because you see this parable is deeply rooted in bitterness and hatred found for generations upon generations. And Jesus is confronting the teacher of the law with a story he would have known well and it would have stunned him. Jesus is calling me to love people I've hated. Not only that, but to love them as a neighbor. You know, when you look at love your neighbor as yourself, when you think about that, the golden rule comes to mind, do unto others with what you would want them to do to you. One lady that weekly, among a team of people who helps me write my sermons, talked about here up front once in front of our church her own struggle with loving herself. That worked itself out in eating disorders and some other things that she talked about. But she was sharing when we were putting this sermon together and she was working with our team. Here's what she said. She said someone said something to her in the midst of doing things to herself that were harmful. They said when it comes to loving yourself, would you do this to someone else? Would you do what you're doing to yourself to someone else? Last week, Pastor Gabe said something that was powerful when he was up front. As we were talking about love your neighbor as yourself, Pastor Gabe said this, love yourself, not in love with yourself. How many times do you look in the mirror when you walk by it? Another way that we can love ourselves in a biblical, godly way is this. In Ephesians 5, in marriage, the Apostle Paul teaches us, when you actually love thy spouse, you are loving yourself. And for all of us who are married, we're going to be having a special class. It'll be starting on February the 9th. It'll go for three to four Sundays. If you can't make them all, that's fine. But next Sunday morning at 9.30 in the theater room, we're going to be having this special class. Pastor Gabe will be overseeing that. It's called Better Love. The next thought that I had for putting feet to our faith is this. Not just love your neighbor as yourself, but love your neighborhood as your own home. Do you love your neighborhood the way you love your own home? Pastor Scott spoke on this yesterday at the men's breakfast. And he gave some simple thoughts that someone relayed to me and I thought they were awesome. So when we talk about putting feet to our faith, he talked about this. You will live 90% of your year within five miles of your home. So when you're driving in those five miles, if you're going to love your neighborhood as your home, when you're driving in those areas, pray. I also added the idea of a five-minute walk. That if you would exit your home, your dorm room, your apartment, and walk for five minutes in any direction, begin to pray over that chunk of real estate and ask God to begin to move and touch hearts and touch lives. And then pick out five homes. Find five homes where you're going to get to know those families. 
And also pick five people that you will pray for for five minutes every week. Five people that are neighbors that live near you in your dorm, in your apartment, in the hotel where you're living, in your house. Pick five people and begin to pray for them by name, literally writing them down. Now what I know is loving our neighbor is a challenge. I'm well aware. But what I also know is it's the heartbeat of Jesus. And if he says all of the 613 laws come underneath these two, and these two are the greatest, I think God would have our church be a church that loves our neighborhood the way we love our own home. What I'm going to ask that you would do now is that you would stand with me. And as we stand together into God's presence, as we stand into God's presence, I want you to close your eyes just for a moment. Would you do that? And as you close your eyes, I'm going to do something that Fred Rogers did when he earned his Lifetime Achievement Award. He got up front when he was taking that award and he said to the people, I want you to take 10 seconds and think about other people. Literally think about individuals. So what I'm going to ask that you would do is you would close your eyes. We're going to take 10 seconds and I want you to think about neighbors, people you work with, people God brings on your heart. I'm going to time it. I would call you to love your neighbor as yourself.